Welcome back to today's episode of the What's in the Words podcast. I am AJ. And I'm Steve Canal. And we are really excited about this book. I know we started a lot of these podcasts off talking about our level of excitement for uh, the books that we've read and we're about to review for you guys. But what makes today's book special? Yeah, and t- today's book is a New York Times bestseller um, by the author Ta-Nehisi Coates. And the book is Between the World and Me. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's, it, it hit home because this is our reality. From the perspective of the author, you know, and writing this letter to his 15-year-old son, we were that 15-year-old who was bright-eyed and, you know, excited to, to take on the world. Now being an adult, being a father, I really, really, really uh, absorbed this and enjoyed it, you know, on another level because it was, again, it was our reality. You know, it's what we face every day. I'm excited to cover this. Yeah, man, it's, 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 you hit the nail on the head, man. It, this is the reality of the book. And we're going to give you guys an overview um, of, of what the book was about. But it hit home so much that, you know, I went through it twice um, just to, you know, sort of absorb it and, and realize, like, man, the experiences that he, that he, you know, eloquently draws out in the book, this is the experience of being a black man born in America. But before we get too far, um, too far into our um, <laughs> unpacking it, let's give a, a high level overview, Steve. What is a high level overview of what the book is about? Yeah, so going back you know, to what I mentioned before, uh, Ta-Nehisi puts this body of work together, which is uh, a letter to his 15 year old son about the realities that face black men in America, you know? Um, and it's filled with personal anecdotes about the, you know, about his personal development and experiences with racism, you know, and, you know, this letter tries to prepare his, his, his black boy for, for the world and what awaits him, you know? Uh, and as a father and, and having a son, it, it hit home because I know there's gonna be a point where, you know, my son, you know, grows up and he's gonna, you know, be in this world and I'm not gonna be there all the time, you know? so it's our duty as parents, you know, if we have children to make sure we give them the tools to be be prepared for life. Um, it's just as, you know, African-American male in this, you know, in society, there's an extra layer <laughs> that we have to lay down to our children, you know, and that is realities. As much as a, people might be in denial, we know the truth. We walk in our truth. You know, we know, we know what's real in these streets and what we face every day. You know, as, a, as I'm 39 years old, and if I walk into an elevator with my hat backwards or a hoodie on, and the people in the ele- elevator aren't, you know, people of color, I'm very conscious of that. I know what they're thinking. You know what I'm saying? So I'm very conscious to, you know, try not to do anything that's going to make them fearful or, 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 you know, feel a certain way. I'm 6'6". Six, six. You know, I'm 6'6". Six, six. 200 plus pounds, you know, walking in an elevator, if I have my hoodie on or a hat on, I know that will bring fear to folks, you know, and I'm very conscious of that. And I'd be a fool to think otherwise, you know, so there are layers to life that I, you know, I have to be conscious of. And I know very well if it was, you know, let's say a white male walking into the elevator with his hoodie on or his hat backwards, he wouldn't think twice of that. He wouldn't even, he, like, that's not even something that pops into his head, you know, and we, Unfortunately, we have to think and feel and walk this way because it's just the realities of life. Absolutely. And, and my overview 
dovetails directly into that. It's we have an alternate reality that we were born into um, and we have to, our parents had to make us aware of that reality early on. And, you know, and if they didn't make us aware, we figured it out very quickly that there is no fair. Mm. There's no such thing as fair for a black man. And you're constantly subject to the whim of a white man or woman. Um, and you can be made a criminal just literally based on a whim of, of you know, the, the person that you're around that perceives you as a threat. And there's nothing you can do to avoid that happening. You can do, like you said, Steve, you can be aware, you can be conscious, you can take your hat off and pull, you take your hoodie off. Uh, but if you're on an elevator and, uh, uh, you know, you're perceived as a threat and the police are called, there's a chance that you might not make it out of that situation. And that is literally the reality that we live with. And I think in his book, um, you know, he wrote it to his son, uh, essentially outlining his growing up in that situation, but then turning around as a father and extending, you know, the courtesy to his son to say, look, you're raised as a privileged boy because of the education that I have. So now let me make you aware of the America that you live in because you're, cons you're, you're, violence can be directed at you and you will not live um you know just depending on how things turn out so you're right steve it's a reality that we have every single day yeah and, and we can't afford to you know not you know understand that it's reality because of other people's feelings you know what mm -hmm. i'm saying like it's easy to you know try to push it off to the side because of how other people may feel because they don't understand it but we can't afford to to walk like and, and live that way. We 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 live it so we know it's real. Other people don't live it. So, you know, they may think we're crazy, you know, ah, oh, it's just in the movies, or you know, that's not is it really, you know, like that now? You know, you know, it seems like something that would be in the 50s or the 60s. Nah, it's real now, today. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, yes, I can go on for we can go on for days talking about this, you know, but I'll keep it short because we have a lot to cover. Um, so what was the takeaway that you had, AJ? Um, so I think the, the biggest takeaway, and again, this isn't too far removed from the conversation we just had, that is that the American dream is a white dream. Mm. Um, and no matter how we cut it, no matter how educated you are, no matter you know what situation you find yourself in, you can be a black billionaire um, and a, a, a white person see you and don't even consider you, <laughs> I mean, they're equivalent, <laughs> right? You can be an Ivy League. It literally doesn't matter what level you ascend to. You're always going to be seen as either a threat or not, you know, not equivalent in, in the eyes of America. Not only, you know, the people of it, just America in general. This country was not built for um, black people, black men. Um, specifically, and, and we can say black people, but because this is a black man, you know, sharing his story, um, it's a story that we understand that the American dream was not made for Steve Canal and Anthony Joyner. What we have to do is understand that we can live within this society and do our best to find our own peace, but it wasn't built to give us peace. <laughs> what about you? Absolutely. Um, <laughs> man. <laughs> So uh, my takeaway is uh, even when you keep your head down and, and, you know, working hard to succeed, it's not enough to guarantee your safety, peace, or happiness as a Black American, mm. you know, and that 
comes off of, you know, a, a story he talks about with a, a cop, a white cop who was known as a liar, gunned down an unarmed man in front of his fiance's house. You know, he followed him there, gunned him down and was able to still go to work, you know, and, and even as a known liar, as a cop, you know, to do certain things, you know, to be able to have just the license to just gun down people, you know, mm-hmm. and it's important, you know, to, to talk about this because no matter, you know, like you said, you could be a billionaire, millionaire, whatever, you know, you know, my, my family and I have been fortunate, you know, to, to do some amazing things. Mm-hmm. Um, we live, you know, in an amazing neighborhood, mm-hmm. you know, but we're the only people of color on in our cul-de-sac or our neighborhood, mm-hmm. you know, so, and I still have to be cautious when I walk outside to walk my son down the street, or if I wanted to take a jog around the block, that people that don't know me or know that I live in, live in that house, I'm pretty sure people talk, so most should know, you know, if they see me running, walking, or if it's a you know, cool day and I have my hood on, like, who is this person? You know, what is this person exactly. doing? What is he doing over here? And if, I, if it wasn't a person of color, would that same question come about, you know? Um, but regardless, you know, our peace of mind and happiness and safety is always under attack you know, as a person of color, you know, and he brings that to light. And you hear the stories every year, you know, there's somebody getting choked for, you know, being on a block and you're thinking he's selling cigarettes and he's not and you choke him out and he dies. And, you know, years go by before something happens, you know, to the mm-hmm. office, you know, people getting gunned down all the time. <clears throat> so it's like, no matter what, you could be in your home with boxers on, somebody walk in and act like they thought it was the house. And gun you down. You were at home chilling. All you were doing was at home relaxing. Mm. You know what I do in my home is my business, right? Mm. But I can be at home and still get gunned down. You know, so it's crazy, um, and it's a reality. So for you know, I know a lot of people might feel like, oh, you know, it's not anymore. It's those days are past. No, <laughs> it's a reality. This book was written in what 2016, I believe. Yeah. It's yeah. a reality. 2016, 17, 18, 19, 2020 is it's always going to be the same. It's all that's what this, this, this country was built off of. Right. And, and my second takeaway is that what you said rings true. Um, it's always been the reality. And changing the reality takes, a, it won't happen in our lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, um, and, and this this is not in the book, so I'm kind of interested to see or to you know to hear your opinion on this, Steve. But where does where does the you have to draw a line between understanding how to live in the reality um, versus being vocal and pushing against what is the reality and trying to still maintain your peace of mind with your family and your career aspirations and the things that you want to do. Like we have to constantly walk that line of, you know, it's, it's playing the game. It's you playing play. the game, man. It is. You have it, to play the game. It's so crazy. I was, and I, I think I talked to you um, a couple of weeks ago. I was in Texas at a, at a retreat. I have an amazing coach, um, an amazing group of entrepreneurs that are in my, in my um, group. Uh, but I'm the only um, person of color at, at this retreat. And we were all, you know, in the Airbnb, and it was a perfect situation, but I was very aware, um, you know, that I'm in a Airbnb and I'm the only, you know, 
brother there and it was a, a, um, a mixed cohort. So there were men there, there were women there and everybody had their own rooms and things like that. But I was very aware of making sure that I was extremely chipper and non-threatening and um, even little things that we don't, that I noticed and I'll give you an example. And, and so for lunch, and, and again, this is, this is nothing to do with them because they were amazing. But for lunch, you know, I'm sorry, for dinner, we walked to a restaurant, it's probably a mile and a half away. And <laughs> this is kind of funny, but uh, you know, when the sign said walk, there could literally be cars coming 100 miles an hour. And if the sign said walked, just their level of comfort with just walking and knowing that the traffic would stop. <laughs> mm -hmm. Versus <laughs> I'm standing on the side like, yo, y'all don't see that car? Right. And that level of awareness, because I know even, so turn the tables and I walk out there and I'm by myself as a black man and I look into oncoming traffic, even though I have the right of way, I'm gonna get snares from people right. as if, as if, hey, I know the light says walk, but you, I could have hit you. Where that's a thought that literally never crossed the minds of my peers. And I know that's a, maybe a, a one-off example, but there's a certain level of conscientiousness that you have to always have in every single situation um, as a black man. And where is the line to where you have to say, I have to do something to bring my family peace of mind or to bring me peace of mind to live the life. Um, where, where do you draw the line? Because society is not equal, but where do you, where do you say, okay, enough pushing. I just have to do what I need to do. Yeah. Um, I think first and foremost, well, you have to take a step back and have consciousness within yourself, you know, and, and understanding who you are, where you come from, and what you represent, mm -hmm. right? When you move and have values of what I'm gonna stand for, mm -hmm. you know, at the end of the day. Um, and hopefully you can share those insights and key learnings with, you know, your family and the people around you. And hopefully they embrace it, you know, because society isn't built for us to be conscious people, you know? Correct. When you look at, you know, the music, the films, you know, the food, everything that we consume and put into our bodies further digs us deeper into the hole of not being conscious. It's just living and they give you this vision of what the American dream is, you know, um, which is, <clears throat> you know, one thing. But when you have certain things that you want to accomplish or achieve in life um, that might bring you pleasure, happiness, um, and it goes against maybe some of your values that you have, you have understanding, you know, what we go through as a people mm -hmm. and what you support and, and, and what you entertain. You have to understand that there are consequences with the decisions you make. Right. So if you were to say, Hey, all right, you know, I go to a, let's go back to Kaepernick. Right. Mm -hmm. so it's, it's a company function and we go to a sporting event. And during the time when, you know, Folks were deciding if they're going to stand during the national anthem or not. And for you, you know, you want to you know, stay headstrong and, and understand, like, I don't stand for this. I don't support this. Um, you know, and I'm I'm going to, you know, support Cap and his movement. And you decide not to stand. Right. <clears throat> you have you have the right to do that. You know, absolutely. You have the right to do that. Um, but what comes with it is consequence. And that's the pivotal point where 
decisions are made of, you know, when you come to the fork in the road, if you're going to go right or left and what comes with that. And nine times out of 10, you know, your colleagues are going to look at you crazy. Fans are going to look at you crazy and it could potentially impact your job, your career, uh, because you made that decision of injustice, you know, like this is injustice and I don't want to support it because you feel as if it's impacting who you are as a human being, but you've made that decision and now it could potentially impact your career. Um, so for me, you know, I walk the line of consequence. If I'm willing to live with the consequence yes. that comes with it, then you make that decision, you keep it moving, you right. know. But if you're not willing to live with that consequence, let's say, you know, you have a baby on the way, you got family, you know, that's when it's like you have to play the game. You have to understand that what comes with it can impact home. But for some people, it's like, you know what, I'll figure it out and I'll find another way. And you find another way, you know, but you, you need to understand that decisions that we make in life have consequences. Correct. And the, where we live, society is built on punishing, you know, you for going against the grain. You know, so you just have to understand what comes with it and make those decisions. Um, one thing that I want to um, talk about before we move on is I love the way that he has um, kind of broke down the the way that black people are perceived um, as as far as him referencing black people as black bodies. Because mm. in America, if you don't know a person, especially as between races, then you're literally just seen as another black body versus a person. Right. Right. And, and that was actually my <laughs> funny, my second takeaway. But go yeah. Ahead. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I'll toss it over to you. No, and you know, my second takeaway was the first reality of being black is having a black body, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. You know, um, if we were to wake up, or I'll take a step back even further, you know, we're raised, we grow up. Let's say we see see no color in this world, right? As as a human being, we grow up and we try to live as just a human being. Um, society by itself will start to show us that we're black, that we're another color, we're different. You know what I'm saying? Based off of how people view us, what people say to us, um, you know, things that would happen to us because of our skin color, it would naturally occur. Like mm -hmm. it, it's, it's impossible. Usually I'll say 99.9% or 99.5%, but it is impossible, 0% that I can grow up colorblind and feel as if I'm just human and not start to be treated as a black person, period. From what people, how they look at me, if I was to grow my hair out, you know, make comments, you know, certain ways that I dress, you know, being this big built body already, you know, almost every day I get asked if I play basketball, like you you think that's a, like, there's nothing wrong with that like like every <laughs> tall black person has to play basketball you know what i mean white people are tall or you know spanish or asian or indian that are tall like do you ask everybody if they play basketball if they're tall no you ask them because i'm black right um right. and because i'm black I'm, I'm supposed to be an athletic person um and use this size and build for sport mm-hmm you know, so it's almost, it, no, not almost. It is impossible for me to walk through life um, without being identified because of my black body. Mm -hmm. And the other part of that is um, because of 
um, other races being indifferent to that fact, it's easy for people to say, and I was just in a conversation in one of the marketing groups that I'm in where the guy was saying he doesn't see color and he doesn't see race. It's easy for you to say that because you don't have to think about it. <laughs> you literally don't have to think like as a, especially as a white male. And I don't want to, again, I'm not bashing. I'm just speaking the facts as I understand them as a white man. You don't have to think about I'm a white man unless you happen to find yourself in an all black neighborhood. Then it becomes very aware that you're a white man. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yep. But in your everyday life, you don't have to think about that. So um, it's just a fundamental difference um, that, that they don't have to they don't have to think about when white people are pulled over by the police. And I have an uncle. Um, his ex-wife was married. And I remember this is about two years ago. My wife and I and my uncle and his wife were in small town, Louisiana. We're driving to a place called Lake Charles to the casino. And we got pulled over. And his wife and Steve, it was literally slow motion. I could just, she was cussing. Why are you pulling us over? You just trying to, I was like, oh my God, she's going to get everybody here killed. <laughs> but, you know, that she doesn't have to think about that. And white people don't have to think about, you know, um, brutality and things like that. So why is there, why are the statistics skewed? Why is there a certain inherent fear that we have to have, or at least a consciousness that we have to have? It's because of the body that we're born into. Mm -hmm. Bottom line. Bottom line, man. Bottom line. And, you know, you said it, but this isn't, this isn't us, you know, getting on here and trying to bash or, you know, this is, this is our reality. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> this is our reality we're speaking to our reality you know what I'm saying and the only way for anybody to understand what we think what we feel what we deal with is for us to speak that you know mm -hmm. and hopefully you'll embrace it take it in and you know realize that this isn't us you know on an attack this is us just speaking our reality and stuff we gotta go through every day like we're very accomplished men and we still have things we have to think about when we do things you know what I'm saying like we have to think about it you know, we can't just wake up and just go and just be thoughtless about, you know, colorless and this and that. Like, you know, I'm very conscious of who I am because I know, it, you know, there, there's things that come with it, you know? The only time, Steve, if I think about it, um, that I didn't have to think about race was when I was at Southern at the HBCU because everybody was, everybody was in the same, everybody was equal. I was at an HBCU summit in D.C. the other day. Mm-hmm. And somebody said the same exact thing. They said the only time in history mm -hmm. where I didn't ever think about race, color, anything was when I was on the HBCU campus. Yeah, because it's like, and you go there from your respective, you know, places where you're from. I'm from a small town, Louisiana, and you get there, and you know, no matter where you were in high school, scholars, athlete, whatever, you get there, and you're you're, you know, immersed into this this abyss of all people who look like you are all trying to do better in life. And again, you can forget about now there's certain, you know, there's always classism and there's always, you know, groups and things like that, but color, or I'm sorry, not color, but race literally just disappeared as a conversation, unless we were specifically talking about race external to the experience there. Right. Man, I can't even imagine that feeling. <laughs> right. Like waking up every day and just like, it's like, I don't know. I can't even describe it. I don't know. 
I know you you have that feeling, so you can talk to it. Yeah. I don't know if I'm ever going to have that feeling, you know? Yeah, and, and one thing that, that, one point that he made um in the book as well, though, as it relates to the Black body, because of the way that we have culturally been conditioned as it relates to Black people, and especially as it relates to Black classism, uh, where you have poverty um, within the race, um, the people who are um, who may not have the same opportunities or who may not take the same advantage of opportunities. Um, when he talked about being the, the, the young guy brandishing a gun, you could very quickly be looked at as a body within your own race by the people who haven't, you know, had the opportunities to go outside and make, you know, maybe they haven't taken advantage of it. And they just see you as another as well. So there's that internal struggle amongst each other as well. And when I know a lot of times it falls into the class of what aboutism, because you cannot bring up cops and, and inappropriate behavior between police officers and, and black people without someone standing inside saying, well, what about black on black crime? <laughs> yeah. But there is that element of, you know, young black men not having as much respect for another young black man. It, it's just there. It, it is, but it's deeper than that, right? It, it's deeper why, than that. Why, why are they thinking that way? Why are they that way? Because mm -hmm. society isn't structured for them to see light, mm -hmm. to know that there's light at the end of the tunnel or aspire to be something in their life. You know, it isn't set up that way. They're in the, they're in the projects, they're in the gutter. Mm -hmm. Like they're just trying to make a way for themselves by any means necessary. And if the only thing you see in front of you is another black person because you're on this island, like there's no nobody else, no other race in that project. It's just you. You know what I'm saying? So it's just like you and and, and people who look like you, you know? So it, naturally that's what's gonna happen. You know what I'm saying? Like if Yep. And you're the nearest person to them that they can touch. Exactly. You know and it looks so, like success. Yeah. So that's a natural target. You know, because um, you people want they want to eat. You know what I'm saying? Like they're starving. Like yeah, they need something. They they're doing it to survive. Mm -hmm. And even in the animal kingdom, just the nature of animals. If an animal is hungry enough, they will cannibalize each other mm -hmm. if they can't get food. So um, anyway, so let's let's talk about our quote, Steve. What is what was your quote that you um, that resonated with you in the book? Yeah, so the quote that resonated, you know, to me, was just a light, you know, it was just like this brightness of, of, of light that just went off when I read this, because um, it just made so much sense. Mm -hmm. When he said, I was made for the library, not the classroom. The classroom was a jail of other people's interests. The library was open, unending, and free. Like when I read that, I'm like, man, makes so much sense. And it just, it just, it was so real, you know, like the library, you can go, go in a library and you can choose your course and your path of what, where you want to go within that space, you know, what books you want to read, where you want it to lead you to. Um, and it's never ending knowledge and information of things that interest you. Exactly. It's literally this podcast. Yeah. Right. Think about the different um, possibilities. When you go, there's nowhere in the world where you can get, you can go and hear so many different life stories than in a library. Mm. People pack their, their, the entire knowledge set 
in a book and you can literally get it in you know a couple hours just by picking up it's freeing it's very freeing yeah and you know and the thing about going into a classroom that like that's really it's, it's other people's interest it's know? an agenda mm -hmm. an agenda that you know they're making you you know go through and learn and and, and absorb you know to better enhance that vision and that that american dream and the system that, that you know you graduate into right that was the quote that resonated for me and it just stood out because you know life is life gives you choices you know and again it's just about consequence so if you make that choice not to be within that system you got to make sure to you know educate yourself and, and go through the route of you know picking up books that's going to further enhance who you are as an individual and put you in a position to succeed you know, some of the most successful people in life didn't graduate from high school or college. Mm -hmm. You know, they got out of the matrix and, you know, they studied and researched and educated themselves for a certain industry or created an industry and, you know, were very successful within their own right. But a lot of people aren't built for that. You know, a lot of people aren't going to take the initiative to go and read those books or put yourself in the position to succeed. You know, it's work. Um, but, um, I just love the thought that he put within this quote of being able to go into a library and, and just the openness and unending, you know, freedom that's within a library to choose your course and path and go down that rabbit hole. You know, I thought that was pretty cool. What was, what was your quote that stood out, AJ? Um, this is not a quote, so I'm going to paraphrase, but essentially he said, attending an HBCU compromise everyone who walks through the doors in the lecture halls and contributed to the construction of a positive identity for blacks in America, not simply identities, the reactions to whites. In other words, when you're on the campus of an HBCU and you're immersed in that situation, all of a sudden you're no longer comparing yourself to the, the rigor or the standards that white people may view you as, you know, the, like the, the threat is gone all of a sudden. So you don't have you can it's almost like you can you can breathe <laughs> it's like you're home even though there's always the threat of someone else coming in when you're in that environment you feel more safe because that the the entity itself is put there for you as a black person to succeed and that's one of the very few places you can go as a black person where everyone around you and the people that are at the top want you to succeed administration mm -hmm. wants you to succeed the janitor wants you to succeed. The campus police officer wants you to succeed. There, everyone there is looking at you as the future of the of the culture and the future of the race. So, I really love that um, the way that he deconstructed. Yeah, it just makes so much sense. <laughs> you know, the structure of an HBCU and how it is built for for you to to achieve and succeed. Mm -hmm. You know, I just wish that more resources were available. Mm -hmm. um, to be able to to maximize that experience. I think it's coming, Steve. I think it's going to take a while for it to circle around. But um, this is total, totally off the topic. But I was watching a documentary on billionaires. Um, and more and more, as wealth proliferates, um, you will start to see more people of color in the ranks of billionaires. Mm. Um, and the thing that they said about a billionaire, you cannot spend a billion dollars in a lifetime like, because your billions are literally making like 8% on a billion dollars 
is some millions and millions of dollars, right? <laughs> Even if it's just not doing anything, you're making money. So I think that the more you start to see people of color, especially black people become millionaires and billionaires, um, or nine, nine bigger or more earners, the more money you will start to see go back to these um, HBCUs. And eventually I think it will turn um, so that we start to, you know, have, um, you know, better campus experience, campus experiences. Because right now, you know, Howard and, and FAMU and Morehouse and Spelman, um, they're very well funded, but then you have some that are not, a lot that are not, right? Um, but again, I think that the, the tide will turn. It'll just, it may not be in my lifetime, but I think, again, it will, it will change. Yeah, I'm so. Maybe I'm optimistic. <laughs> um, I think we have to be optimistic, right? Absolutely. Optimistic. Um, I think it's it's it comes with um, growth, a growth mindset to want to give back. Mm -hmm. We'll give back with time, mm -hmm. you know. But a lot of people won't give back with their their pocketbooks unless they're making millions or billions. Mm -hmm. and every dollar counts, right? Mm -hmm. To be able to support that HBCU and the experience that the students can get, and the the you know talking about that experience and being able to put that school in a position to further enhance that user experience for the students. So, right, and I, I, th I also think that again, this is I have a meeting actually with Clark, and I'm going to talk to them about you know what if they put like a little memberships, and I know they're starting to do that, but what if I could go to Southern website and say, okay, I want to pay $3 a month forever. And that was just an option, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you can do it, you have to manually do it, but what if there was a push to get people to do it? Right. You look at how many people they, that have graduated, they're saying less than 1% of the people give back, but I think you have to be more creative with your outreach as well. So I think there's some internal things that can happen, but I don't know, I'm hopeful. <laughs> yeah. I'm hopeful. Yeah, and I, you know, as you're talking, I was just thinking about it. I was like, everything that needs to just happen, you know. And I think, I think this, I think what will be the saving grace is that more and more women are being put in positions of power. Yes. And in positions to create change. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> with that, I think will come the ability for the thinking to put those platforms in place mm -hmm. to further the opportunity to to give back and 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 help these HBCUs grow. Absolutely. So I'm hopeful in that. All right, so now we get to the cons and, and I'll be honest, I literally didn't have one. I think in my opinion, and maybe it's because of this book is our story. <laughs> right. I was thinking this may be my first five, like full out um, five fist book. <laughs> yeah, um, to have a con is to have a con with our reality in our life. <laughs> exactly. Right? Like this was a reflection of us. So I don't have nothing negative to say. This is, this is our truth. This is who we are. This is what we have to deal with. And I wouldn't give it up for anything. You know, I appreciate this experience that I'm able to experience every day in this life. Because mm -hmm. um, it's special. It know? is. It to absolutely to where we are to, to get to who, where we are today and what we've been able to accomplish. Yes. Like, it takes us living life and we've lived it. You know, we're living it, you know, on, on another level. So I appreciate it. Yes, and, and think about this, Steve. Not even one lifetime ago, we couldn't vote. Mm. Not even like my grandmother was couldn't vote. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Once upon a time, and we've had a black president. So think about that for a minute. But from from not being able to vote 
to having a black president in less than one lifetime. Yeah, to go from that to where we are now, it's an experience that, that you know, we have um, and we make the best of it. But like you said, I think the, the future, there's always resistance, but I think we're headed in the right direction. Anyway, yeah, so I don't have any, I don't have any cons and this is my first five, five, this review. Um, and I would really hope that um, some of our um, white um, counter colleagues and, and friends would be open to reading something like this too. And I know it's, it's a very foreign thing to try to put yourself into the shoes of someone else, but I think this would be an opportunity to, to understand. And there's a podcast called On Being. If you, if you're not, you know, if you don't want to read the book, listen to that podcast. And that's a very thoughtful conversation by Krista Tippett, who's an amazing uh, white um, journalist, white lady. Uh, and there was a very candid conversation um, where she was very empathetic in the way, in, in her approach. And it was in an auditorium of a majority white audience. And he was able to explain the black experience. And she asked very thoughtful questions um, without being, you know, overly apologetic. Because that's not what we want, right? <laughs> the apologies, like, that's not going to help anything. But if you don't read the book, I think that podcast would be a great place to go listen. Um, anything in closing, Steve? Uh, <laughs> all right, say that again. <clears throat> so anything in closing before we get out of here? Yeah, definitely. I want to give a shout out to Jay Carter and team for bringing this uh, body of work between the world and me to Atlanta for a live re reading from the likes of T.I. and Killer Mike and so forth who were uh, able to partner with the Apollo Theater and um, actually do a live reading of this here in Atlanta which was pretty amazing um, from what I've seen and heard. I wasn't able to attend, but I've seen, you know, some of the clips and it looked pretty cool. So I know uh, they did it also in New York, which got rave reviews. So hopefully this is something that will go into other markets and cities as well, just to, you know, open people's eyes um, to the realities. Uh, I know we talked about this on the podcast and you gave some recommendations, but to see a live reading of this also gives character and life to, to the book, so kudos uh, for that experience. Uh, Absolutely, kudos, man. Kudos to Jay Carter and, and crew for bringing that together. Um, I think that's great, and I think that this is definitely a read that I would love for more people to get, you know, get into. Steve, tell them about your book and how well they can find you. Absolutely, close it on out. You can uh, find my book, The Mind of a Winner, on Amazon or themindofawinnerbook.com. Uh, it's available on softcover, ebook, and also audiobook, uh, read by me. Uh, so it's an opportunity to tap into a book that gives you access to the minds um, of Damon John from Shark Tank, uh, Barbara Corbin from Shark Tank, Swing Cash, uh, Kenny the Jet Smith, uh, and so forth. Um, two chains in the book. So, it's a great read, easy read, and you know, wanted to make sure put a body of work out there to give people access of not only how to achieve success but sustain it over time. And yourself, AJ. Um, for me, man, for anybody who's out there interested in writing and publishing a book, I'm a firm believer that everybody's story can potentially change someone else's life. So, um, every and we've all experienced things. So, if you want to take the book out of your head and, and bring it into the world, go to ajsfreebook.com. Um, I will ship you a copy of my book that's going to give you a step-by-step -step blueprint for that. You just cover shipping. It's ajsfreebook.com. And um, 
you know, of course, if you want to follow us on social, follow me on Instagram. That's where I am, 8dayjoyner at Joiner. Awesome, and I'm at Steve Canal, S-T-E-V-E-C-A-N-A-L. Until the next time, peace. Peace out.